0: Good to be with you this evening, appreciate the good number. I will say that as all my lessons I feel very strongly about, and I'm thankful to preach in meetings about things that are on my heart, tonight's lesson will be especially so. I want to talk to you about our adversary, Satan, and how he can destroy the faithful Christian. I know I was in Auburn for about 11 years, we had a lot of students there, and I sound like the old guy, you know, about things I've seen in the past, but there's something about having lived for years, <clears throat> preached the gospel, converted people, loved people, worked with congregations, and then over the years, follow closely what happens to individuals, to families, to churches. I have to admit to you, that's one of my things I like to do, whether I'm studying church history, the same things that happened where people ended up, and it certainly has been true in my life. Because if you go after a brother that, or a sister, or my own children that I love, I want to know where the dangers are. This is called being watchful, and the scriptures are filled with exactly everything we need to know how to resist Satan. But I could talk to you for hours tonight with people that I know and people that I look back with tears and then also those who have stood. And so I hope I can communicate pointly. And I hope above all, you have the outlines that you'll be able to follow with me. One thing about our adversary, Satan is he is the master at deception and accusation. One of the things I want to say as I teach this lesson Our our political climate that has now been for the last six, seven years, it's always been bad. But our political climate is especially bad. And we've got to be very careful that we don't take into that spirit within us. It will destroy us. And so this will be the core of some of the things I want to say about Here, Satan, he's a great deceiver. He's not your friend. But he would love to get you caught up into his thinking. 1 Peter 5, and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom may devour. Now, I'll tell you, when you battle an opposition, whether it be a sports team that has a strategy going against you or whether you're fighting for your life, it is really good to know the game plan of your opponent. We will not outsmart Satan. You won't do it. You think you can. You kind of laugh at the older preachers and the older men giving you warnings. You know, sometimes you see that in a younger generation. Oh, that's just but legalism. Look at Scripture. Satan wants you to not take his way seriously. But God will reveal to us everything we need to know. Satan is defined. Literally, the word Satan literally means adversary, the constant enemy of God and man, a supernatural evil being. i haven't taken time to give you a thorough study of this, uh, but uh, we had John 8, John 8, 44. what Satan does he master in? He masters in lies. He's the liar, the father of lies. I've enjoyed in years past playing chess. I played in some chess tournaments when I was in college. But it's with what I and actually won one tournament. Not wasn't that big a tournament, but it a tournament. But you know, if I had ever played a chess master in the best of my ability, he could look at a board and in sixty seconds make a move. <laughs> and I could take all the time of the world and he could make a move and he could defeat me with the greatest of ease. If you go up against Satan without God's wisdom, you and I will lose every time. We need God. We need God. His protection, And it's there for us. If we don't become proud and arrogant, God will take care of us. It's interesting. There was a lady that wrote, lived under Nazism. And he talked about when you have a totalitarian government. I like this quote. It says, The result of a consistent and total substitution of lies for factual truth is not that the lies will be accepted as truth, and that the truth defamed as lies, but that the sense from which we take our bearings in the real world, and the category of truth versus falsehood as among the mental means to this end, is being destroyed. The possibilities for lying become boundless and frequently meet with little resistance. The reason why I say that, that's the political culture we're focusing right now. Some call it postmodernism. some call it cultural Marxism, some call it, you know, wokeism. It's being pushed in the schools. It's being pushed in business. And I'm not here tonight to talk to you about that, except lies, 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 lies. There's no, how can I say, critical thinking being taught. Can I just make it this way? You don't know who a man or woman is. i never dreamed in my life we would be at this level of insanity. But there's a system to it. And I'm saying again, I am not want you to fight a political battle. I don't want you to go away. Oh, the world's anything. No, no, no. I'm just saying we more than ever need to get this political joke out of our lives. And we need to get into the Word of God and learn how to think. When Jesus was being betrayed, he talked to those in this fake trial that he had. In Luke 22, 53, it says, When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour in the power of darkness. Satan is known for lies and darkness. In John 14, 30, Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me, brethren. We will not change this world through political means at all. Forget it. If this nation is set up for judgment, it will be judged. But we can change this world by living for God and converting others and being unzealous for God. Jesus pointed out to us while this world stands, the powers that be are under the control of Satan. And we're not going to change it. And Now let's talk practically. I want to get very, very practical here. What I'm telling you tonight affects all of us. I used to tell our young people in Auburn we'd have sometimes a hundred college students, sometimes a few more. I says the likelihood of you someday falling away from the Lord of how it's going to happen, it's not going to be because somehow somebody convinces you that what you believe is wrong and here's something else that's right and you try to convince everybody the truth but they don't believe it and you walk away. That's not how it works. By the way, if you learn something that we don't believe, I'd welcome studying with you, but that's not normally how people fall away. They fall away, and this is fascinating. When they lose control of their heart, we're going to talk about bitterness tonight. Pride. If Satan can corrupt the heart, the mind stops working. And the illustrations I'm going to give you tonight, those of you who've lived very long at all, will say, yep, I've seen that. I've had that happen. And I'll give you Scripture about that. If Satan was going to try to, to defeat us, how would he appear to Christians? To influence us. Would he, would he come to us as somebody who's cursing God, somebody who's wanting to hurt others, somebody who's trying to beat the war drums or whatever it is? Is that how Satan would come? You know the answer. You know your Scripture. 2 Corinthians 11 13 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ." And no wonder. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. If Satan was going to affect you, one of the things he would first get you to do is to believe in a cause because you love God, because you're interested in justice and righteousness, but He would introduce you something in a way that's not accurate, that is a lie. And He'll connect you to people in your relationships that you think are serving God, that you think are some great preachers or great friends or spiritual associates in school, but they're not who they seem to be. And I'm going to show you how that works, how it happens. But one more time, I really want to emphasize this. I don't want you leaving here, oh no, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my loved ones? I want you to understand there's a danger. But Satan, when he does his work, if he's able to do it, he'll get you to the point where you stop thinking. Where you don't even talk about it. You You don't even try to reason or use your mind. Those who never became Christians, in 2 Corinthians 4 4, it talks about whose mind the God of this age is blinded. I want to show you how Christians can turn from a loving God, serving Him, opening their Bible, working out problems, talking with others, being patient with their brethren, showing the fruit of the Spirit, and how, if they're not careful, they can go down a path where they become as unjust and accusers. And as hard hearted and as cruel in their judgments as anyone in the world. I've seen it happen many times. I want to show you how that can happen. And so again, we're going to get the game plan of Satan tonight. First off, number one, brethren, we've got to be grounded. You know what grounding is means? It means you got a foundation that nothing is going to destroy. You know the uh, <coughs> Sermon on the Mount and then here the, the, another sermon Jesus preached, Luke 6.48. He talks about it. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream bit vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it is founded on the rock. So let's start right here in our life. Seriously, right now, you and me. Tonight, As you're going to bed and you're thinking about who you are, what are the thoughts that go into your mind? I pray that it is your understanding of God and His nature. If you will build your life on seeing the God of the Bible, the character of the God of the Bible, and you let that be your thoughts, you let that be the dominating feature, not what somebody's done to you, or not some political emergency that you got to do this or that, or whatever the world is trying to draw you to. If in our heart of hearts we know who God is, we know His character, and when things get crazy and weird, we'll go and put ourselves before God and praise Him and thank Him and ask for help and understand there's so many things under His control that it's not mine to fix if we could establish that foundation, no floods will destroy us. Look at Psalm 63 as an example. It says, A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirst for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land when there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I'll lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with Marilyn fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember You on my bed, I meditate on You in the night watches. Because You have been my help, therefore in the shadow of Your wings I will rejoice. My soul, if I was close behind You, Your right hand upholds me. A few years ago, when I left Charlottesville, later to come back, I didn't know I was going to come back, when I moved to Auburn. One of my last lessons I did for a little group that was meeting I would go drive 80 miles one way and meet with them. We would have studies every week. We did that for years. And I wanted to leave something with them. What would you leave with somebody that you may not see again? What message would you give somebody if you did not want them to fall away? What would be the most important message if you really wanted this loved one not to turn back on the Lord later? You know what my lesson was on? Thankfulness. If we can every day see God's hand in our life, if we can see what He's done already in His providential care in our past, if we can understand that whatever emergencies of this day or the sufferings of the present time, like Romans eight eighteen, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Have you ever known an unthankful person to fall away? I mean, excuse me, a thankful person to fall away. Think about it. I know a lot of unthankful people who fell away. I know a lot of people that they get caught up in what people do and other things and temporary things and they forget God. Larry, is it that simple? I really do believe that's the core. I really do. And so we meditate upon God. I, I, let me ask you this. One other thing. About evangelism. You know what evangelism is about? Introducing people to God. I'm coming to realize now in Charlottesville, Virginia where people hardly know much of anything about God, I'm seriously, it's an area that has been highly affluent, highly afflicted by the political culture, high degree of atheists, agnostics, we're finding people coming out of the woodwork wanting to read the Bible for the first time. You know what, we've got to teach people who is God and we need to know this we need to have a passion about the character of God. And if we don't have that, that's where we need to be teaching right now. What would you say if somebody asked you, what's God like? I love Isaiah 40. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints or is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. And you know, we could keep reading that verse. I love that verse. <clears throat> Are we excited to talk with our neighbors and friends about what God is like? If you don't have that yet, you need to work on that as a Christian, Of knowing God personally. Developing that faith and that daily faithfulness. In him. So what's happening today in our culture is people are identifying themselves in ways that are contrary to the nature of God. What is done today under the name of social justice is really an atheistic system, if you look at the core of it, that has no justice and there is no God. Uh, and it's fascinating as you study postmodernism that, that, that's that there, there's no absolute truth, but anyway. It's sad to me to see somebody say, I want to help others. I want to help others that are hurting. That's really, really good. Guess how we do that? We do that in God's way. With real justice. With real love. With rationality. Not by random definitions. But there are people today, because of the nature of our media, that rather, I'm telling you, I, I want to say a lot about this. Turn off TV. If you're, you're, if you're getting your news from TV and, and major sources, you're going to probably be lied to a thousand ways and I don't care what channel you're watching. Turn to God. Everybody wants to make a difference in life, even those that are messed up. How do I view my purpose? If we're going to teach people about God, look at Jeremiah 9.23. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him glory, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for these I delight, says the Lord. You know what political righteousness is about? Slavery, attack, Power. We want to stop the systematic violation of people's rights when you start looking at what they do. They randomly attack people and it's all about power and money. Well, that's what politics has always been about. Accusations are a great tool in politics. You want to get people mad and angry so you might get some votes or whatever way of gaining your power that you need. Don't identify yourself with that. Identify yourself with the Lord. And you'll look at it, Galatians 3. When people become Christians, when they're baptized into Christ, guess what? Your identity should change. Verse 28, there is neither, Jew or Greek, there is neither, slave or free. There is neither male or female. For y'all are one in Christ Jesus. Brethren, we're family. We have Christ in common. And I don't want to identify myself with a political party or some other movement or whatever. I want to be a Christian and a Christian alone. Be careful, brother. Paul, remember we studied last night. Remember Paul talked about he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He talked about all the things that he did. Did you know what he did when he became a Christian? He counted them as lost. He counted them as garbage. Our identity It's really more than ever, friend. I'm serious. The kind of propaganda, the kind of emotion, the kind of stuff that's being pushed at us, we've got to stay calm and understand what has God given us, how should we think, and I'm not going to let my life be destroyed by whoever gains the power in this country. I can't let that happen. And even though I have strong feelings about that, that is not my battle. God says I'll raise up leaders and I'll bring down leaders. And if God wants to do that, there's not one thing we can do to stop it. I understand your purpose. You know what happens when you change your purpose? If You get caught up in a political movement and that really becomes your passion. Your attitude toward brethren will change. Are you following me? And that is not normally not a good thing. We're going to talk about truth. Truth. We can look at these verses, but I want to move on. We want to stand in the truth. We want truth. And to be our identity. And the, we want to see the direction we're heading. So now here's the core of my lesson. I want to talk about how God can affect the unstable Christian. If you don't have a foundation, It is way, way, way too easy for you to connect with people that you ought not be. and sometimes in the church. That'll lead you down a path that can literally destroy you. Let me show you how that happens. You know, Satan is like a wolf. When my daughter was young and she saw the little, what was it, the the baby elk, you know, running and there's the wolves. Going after the baby elk, and I kind of was joking at my daughter, "Uh oh, they're going to get some chicken nuggets." Oh, no, Daddy, don't say that. You know, and then, of course, you know what happens. They, they get the, the small deer, they separate it, and then it's over. And it, so, but that's how Satan works. If you have not built your foundation on the fruit of the Spirit, and politics have become a little too important to you, that bitterness. And the pride and the accusations that come in that realm and other realms, not just that. This has happened historically in the church outside of politics. It's more of a current threat. But you get it. The unstable oftentimes are influenced. They, they, they don't have a foundation. Uh, you can't stay in instability. Okay. Let me show you Ephesians 4, 14. 15. Here's what I'm talking about. That we should no longer be children... Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cutting crapp- this crappiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may in all things into him who is the head of Christ. Trickery of men. You know what? Unstable Christians are vulnerable. They're vulnerable to not know how to deal with the hurt. They're vulnerable... When they see people that appear to be very likable and they give them attention and they flatter them to connect to people that actually don't have their best interest in mind. I've kind of got to a point in my work as a Christian. I've served as an elder for 10 years. I, I've i watched things. I've gotten a pretty good eye of seeing when somebody's been poisoned in their heart and they're going a certain direction, I try to help them. Sometimes you can't help those, but you know what, secondarily, you need to do? You need to, you know, they may be leaving the, the Lord. They may be going away from the Lord. They doesn't happen all at once. And oftentimes they make connections with others and take them with them. And so there's two things. I'd like to help that person and, and provide for them, but I also don't want them to take others with them. Uh, parents, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> your child get caught with somebody and they thinks they're the greatest thing in the world and next thing you know they begin to plant thoughts and ideas and accusations. They try to separate your child from you and plant suspicions. This is the type of thing that I'm warning about. Unstable ones that don't have a foundation are very vulnerable. And so you read passages and I'm just going to skim these passages where people flatter you they flatter you, but they don't really have your, your best interest in mind. Relationships. First Thessalonians 2, again, another passage on flattery. They use pressure. John 9, 22. Let me tell you something about relationships. If you serve a Christian, they're going to love you. And they're not going to try to make you line up with every opinion. And even if they disagree with you, they will kindly try to help you and love you and not try to strong arm you and use carnal tactics to make you feel bad. But you know what the world does? If Satan, what Satan will do is he'll there. There's people within the church that normally don't stay long, but they're bringing, they'll, they'll start giving the weak attention. I've seen this as a shepherd. We've had people within the congregation that were just historically unstable. And it's fascinating if someone comes into the congregation and they really do have a bad attitude. They can find these weak people almost. They seem like they've got this sixth sense. (laughs) And they try to attach to these people that are struggling, that are weak. And the danger is if they can get these people in the background and start saying things to them, the first thing they'll do, they'll brag on them. Oh, you're so good. You're humble. Oh, you see things that these other people don't see. And then after bragging on them, then they'll start planting bad seeds. These people are racist. These people are arrogant. These people are uh, uh, legalists or whatever. They've got different names that people use, and they start doing this privately. They're not trying to get people to solve problems. They're not trying to work out problems. They're trying to get their own following. And that's deadly. In John nine twenty two, even the parents of the man who had been born blind, who had been killed by Jesus, wouldn't stand up for what was right because they were afraid of the Jews because they were going to put somebody out of the synagogue. When you get caught into a relationship with people like that, you end up becoming their slave. You've got to hate who they hate. You've got to think like they think. And they will use every tactic and pressure of the book to get you to lie and line up. One of the things I tried to do when I was an old is I try to keep up with social media. And brethren, I have posted things on social media I shouldn't have, and I've taken it down and apologized, so I'm not saying that I'm a perfect person when it comes to social media. I I probably have made more mistakes than I realize. But sometimes in social media, you can almost see almost a group mentality where people begin to make statements they have no idea what they're talking about. They're empty. They're not fair. You know, the Bible talks about in handling Scripture that unstable people, if they're unstable, they can tend to rest the Scriptures. And that's 2 Peter 3. We're not looking at that verse. But the thing that I see is that when people are getting caught in emotion, they don't think straight. They're not fair. You try to talk to them and you get more emotion and you get no answers. It's very dangerous. When we begin to get caught up in that mentality, it's a political mentality, but it's a carnal mentality, that here it's us and you, we and they, and you try to win at any cost, and you're not fair. Unstable people tend to burn out. The Bible talks about those who have no root, that in times of temptation they tend to fall away. So here's the core. I'll talk about bitterness. From here on out, I will talk about the three pillars of Satan. I want to be very specific in how you and I could lose our heart. Look at Hebrews 12.15. In Hebrews 12.15, here is a short but powerful verse where the Bible says, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many come to find. Them. Years ago, when Yvette and I first married, we knew of a wonderful congregation in Montgomery. Loved the preacher, loved the members, and we moved to Lincoln, Nebraska to help start a congregation. Maybe about five years after we married. And unfortunately in Montgomery, that church had a division. About 80 people left. And they started what they called the Church on the Hill. And we were very concerned about it. If it's parents for a while, we're, we're actually we got caught up into that. We're visiting that. So we're very much like, what's going on here? What is happening? Why is this church formed? And I'll never forget, we, when we tried to talk to people that once were really good friends with us, we were treated as enemies. And I had no idea of anything I ever said or did to them that I was actually viewed with fear. And I didn't understand that. And by the way, it took me another, I think, 20 years for me to follow the light bulb to come home to understand what happened. But I was so puzzled by that. How can somebody that you've known all your life that's been in the church have something happen and then they turn on you as if you're an enemy and you can't even talk to them anymore? Anger? bitterness. Let me tell you what that does. It's described, you can see the definition in the outline, we know about something that is bitter. But bitterness when it goes combined with irrational anger can make you one of the most slampers, unjust, fearful, angry, empty persons that you could possibly be. You want to commit suicide? You want to commit slow suicide? Just become bitter and angry. And you'll suspect the whole world's being against you. You get angry at somebody, you can't let them go. You keep thinking about it. That person may be a thousand miles from you, but you can't help but think about them. They get in your dreams. When you wake up, you think about them. That's why God says forgive. That's why God says let God be the take of vengeance. Get it out of your life. It's poison, it will destroy you. And that's the one thing I tried to tell my students in Auburn. I said, if you get a point one day where you think we've done wrong, and you're serving God, we'll talk about it. But if somehow you get somebody privately that's not only tries to tell you about some new beliefs, but then they try to slander me and slander others, and you never talk to the people, it's just done privately, and you just cut and run, that's not of God. And there is the danger not only personally having it, but then have people recruit you into what I call the fellowship of the miserable. It's not a matter of them, but when they leave the church. I heard the story about the grandson that played a joke on the grandfather. He took some of that Lindbergh cheese, that stinky cheese, and put it on the grandfather's mustache while he was sleeping on the couch. Grandfather woke up. This room stinks. He goes in the living room. The living room stinks. He goes into the to the, be, the bedroom. Bedroom stinks. Goes outside. The whole world stinks. That's what happens. When that root of bitterness comes into your life. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully. Satan can defeat doctrine with the greatest of ease. if it gets you better because you stop thinking. Here's a church I was at for seven years in Birmingham area. And they brought in a man that followed me about a year later and he started planning these things in the background. I didn't know what was going on. I I, grew a distance. I knew things were not going well. But I couldn't identify it. That church ended up dividing, starting what was called the church in Birmingham. There were people I baptized in Christ. There were families that I knew. Where everybody ended up, that church is just about gone, but it was done not in a way of, I think, righteousness. And it's very sad to see the effect that it had upon young people and others. And people to this day wouldn't even talk to me that I'd never had one crossword with. By the way, brethren, be careful about public things. Be careful what you put on the internet. Be careful about public petitions. We had some brethren get caught up in that a few years ago and about things they just did that. Don't go public first. If you've got a cause, talk to people. Would you like somebody to go public with something with you first before you ever talk to somebody else? That doesn't promote the fruit of the Spirit. Look at 1 John 3, 15. Some brethren laugh about their anger. Some brethren think their anger is no big deal. Listen to what the Scriptures say. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Look at Leviticus 19, 16. You shall not go about as a tellbearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. One of the worst things that happens is somebody has hate in their heart, but they'll look at you and smile. How you doing? That's that old song in the 60s, smiling faith and still lies. Don't do that. I remember that one brother look at me. The uh, Bible says I've got to love you, but I don't have to like you. Now, he later repented. We became good friends. But whoo! Mind this idea. Well, the Bible says I'm not going to hate, so I'm just going to count up pretend It's not there, but it's there. That's not where you want to be. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin to cause him. You shall not take vengeance and bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as a self. I am the Lord. Look at Jude 9. There's some brethren they'll get on the internet and they can solve all the problems in Churches of Christ. I'm kind of thinking, how do they know? But there's the rationality that goes with you. You need to ask questions. You need the fear of God. And so, let's move along here. I want to show you one verse here. If I could, Galatians 5, verse of flesh. talking about being an old preacher. There's an old preacher that, when I was young, Urban Lee, I know some of you may have heard him, many of you may have not, but I'll never forget Urban Lee talking about the works of the flesh. And he says, watch out for the anger family. You look at the works of the flesh, we're familiar with adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. but look at these other words that really have anger at the root of most of them. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things should not inherit the kingdom of God. Secondly, You know, there's always a battle with each new generation. And that's okay. I I, I appreciate young people saying, Larry, we're saying this, but do we really have the Scripture to back it up? I love those discussions. But one of the dangers, particularly with our young, is that you get some people who are young and they don't have very much control of their heart, and rather than being fair and reasonable, they really are trying to look down on brethren. And they would not even talk with somebody because they may have gray hair because they're not going to listen to you. Have you ever tried it with me? I'd love to talk to you. But they write the brethren off in pride like they're not thinking. We're thinking. We really see the Scripture. We have the depth of Scripture. And all of these brethren are narrow-minded and shallow. Really? Are you engaging with your brethren? James 3.14 says, But if you have bitter envy... And self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast, there's pride, and lie against the truth. For all that is in the world, 1 John two sixteen, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. You know, when you start looking down on others, it's, it's ugly. And let me tell you about social media. I'll never forget this. This broke my heart. After the church divided in the Birmingham area, there was a brother that was kind of the ringleader of this. But he had his Twitter account private. Then later, a few years later, he made it public, and I was able to go back and see some of the interactions that he had with brethren, and it broke my heart. He was talking about... He had seen a PBS show about... uh, but maybe it was a docudrama. Docu, docu maybe it was not maybe not PBS. Maybe somebody else a docudrama on the Hatfields and McCoys. And the docudrama had got this. One of the families went into a church of Christ. And he says, I saw that last night. And my wife and I just laughed and laughed. And we thought that was so funny. What he had been doing. And you could see it. He had been taking the young people, unknocks to the elders, unknowns to the elders, and they were as a group laughing at churches of Christ, laughing at brother. One brother would go visit somewhere, and he'd report back to, oh, you can't believe what I saw in services today. And there they were in their private group. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, listen to that. That's deadly. I can tell you what happened to all those people. It's not pretty where they ended up. But that's the thing you've got to watch out for. Pride doesn't look down on brethren. Pride is humble. 1 Corinthians 8 2. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Verse 1 says, Now concerning the things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge loves up that love out of us. Could I say, please, brethren? Please. If you get caught up in a private group and you're seeing that kind of attitude, people making fun of others and laughing at others and cutting each other, making broad statements about churches of Christ, please stand up to them and be careful. I'm not saying churches of Christ are all right. You've heard my discussion. You've heard our studies. But the one thing I'll tell you you will do, you will be honest and open. And you don't do this in private. You talk with people. You don't live in what I call the land of throwaway people. Let me show you another verse. This is one the light book came on for me after this second division that I witnessed from a distance. Could you imagine the Apostle Paul writing to those whom he converted and making this statement in Verse 16. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? you know how that happened? The churches of Galatia had some people that started doing the very thing that I'm telling you. They planted bitterness. They tried to pull people together to them and make them zealous for their cause. Look at the next verse. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you. In other words, cut you off from others. Cut you off from the Apostle Paul. I remember one relative that I had through my brother's son that they had taken a stand doctrinally, went into this very uh, uh, progressive church, and sent a tape to uh, a man in the congregation that was at, and he says, don't give this to Larry. And I was thinking, what? He gave it to me immediately because I'm going, "What? what have I ever done to this person? By the way, they're now in a Pentecostal group. That bitterness and anger, and they pulled away some relatives. But it's very interesting. You, you and I must be fair-minded and not looking down on others. You know verses that warn about that. Luke eighteen nine. also he spoke this parable of some who trusted in themselves and they were righteous and despised others. 2 Corinthians 10 12, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. You know, when I see weakness in my brother, I don't rejoice. I don't run and go tell somebody about it. It doesn't make me feel better because I see weakness. I want to help them and I want to be patient. And I would also say, maybe I'm not seeing this right. Maybe what I'm seeing is not accurate. You see, you act in love toward those that are in the body of Christ because you stand before the Lord. One more point. When you get caught up in a movement like this, oftentimes you become dishonest. You see, I'm the kind of guy who shoots straight with me. I right? And they go, something, get that old two by four, pop me between the ears. I'm okay with that. I'd rather hear from you than for something for people to whisper. And I hear about it the third or fourth way, you know, without being directly addressed. It's interesting. You look at the dishonesty of the people that Jesus dealt with. Uh, he asked a question. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from man? You look at the context they thought, uh-oh, if we say this, the people are going to be mad at us. If we say this, well, we don't want to support Jesus and we don't believe John was uh, was a prophet. But now notice, men of conviction, they should have stood up, we don't believe John's a prophet. That's what they should have said. But you know what they did? They were more interested in what people thought and so they gave an answer, we don't know. And that's the kind of thing that I've seen happen when you get these groups, these subgroups formed within churches. And so, uh, all right. Uh, I want to move on here in the outline here. I think we made the point without. Here's John 18:20. 20. One, one last verse. One of the things that I saw as I was watching people that I love being influenced, you could see that the leader. Likely had certain beliefs he was hiding. And I always, puzzled, that puzzled me. If I don't believe baptism is necessary to salvation. Just stand up and say something about it. If I don't believe instrumental music, uh, there's anything wrong with that, then let's stand up and talk about it. But I remember people coming to me and saying, Man, I heard this guy's preaching. And I don't know what he believes. There's veiled subtleties here. You almost sense that this person's going a direction but they don't come out and say it. And you can ask them a hundred questions and you still don't know the answer. But you know what I find? Sometimes there are disciples who are not as expert. I'm sad to say this in line. Come right out and say it. Should I hold a position and be influencing others and try to hide it. Let's look at Jesus. In John 18, and verse 20, it says, Jesus entered him. I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I have said nothing. Brethren, if people are pulling you aside and say, hey, I really think this. I really think church got it wrong with this. I really think this. But shh, don't tell anybody. Big red flag, huge red flag. We're going to bring this to the close in just a moment because I'm, I'm sort of made the major points. But here's what I want to go: relationships. Oops, sorry. I got a looks like a mess up here in my PowerPoint. Sorry about that. Um, in Psalm chapter one. Verses 1 through uh, 1 and 2. Here we go. We'll get that up here. There we go. Okay. Listen to this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but as the light is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. you see relationships in verse 1? Be careful. <laughs> if you are kind of getting caught up in what I call the fellowship of the miserable, get out of that. Now maybe you can influence those people. You know how oftentimes you get out of the fellowship of the miserable? Say, you just said this about somebody and that's not fair. Have you gone to talk to him? I remember a good friend I had when I was in Auburn uh, years ago as a young guy, Lynn Huggins. He was working with Dave Bradford. And I remember getting angry about something. I said, I bet you this brother is thinking this, 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 and this. And I told Lynn that. And I'll never forget Lynn looking at me. He says, Larry, you don't know that. And you know what I said? You're right. (laughs) Thank you, brother. You see, that's the kind of thing we've got to fight. We need to have people around us that love the truth. And that will be fair-minded. And they'll not jump to conclusions or let us go into bitterness. Well, I definitely can't finish this outline tonight. So I want to finish it with 1 Corinthians 13 and then I think we'll make some conclusions and let the lesson be yours. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4-7. through 7. If you want to know, say, Larry, what's your summary here? My summary is love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. My point would be that if we, if our rather disappoint us, we don't look to throw them away. We don't look to save up their disappointments as weapons so we can somehow destroy their influence. But rather we look to try to help them. We want to solve problems and not use problems as an opportunity. But in 1 Corinthians 13 beginning in verse 4, look at this. Look at how love responds when we are humble and we trust God and we rejoice in everything that He's done for us. Verse 4 Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, if I start getting pulled into a fellowship with the miserable, you know, the ways to make yourself unpopular with them is to be thankful, is to make allowances for others is to try to point out people and say, you know, this is not really where I need to spend my energies. If I can't go help that, brother, I'll pray for them and I'll move on to try to build. But brother, this, what i yet with you tonight, and you've got additional material in the outline, is exactly how churches are destroyed. We've got to have a leadership of fairness. In other words, you know what I tell people: if you're dealing with postmodernism, whatever it is, you know how you beat that—doing others, you'd have them do doing you. Love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandments are exactly the way to answer this. And so, don't be—don't let people privately pull you into a slander session, a gossip session, to try to get you angry. And could I say this? If you're here, if you here, and you've got grudges right now, and maybe you have been pulled in one of these sessions, you need to repent of it. You need to understand the Bible says that vengeance is mine, I'll repay. We've got to get that out of our life. And I'll tell you, I beg you, that will zap your energy and destroy you spiritually. There's a way out of that. Jesus, when He hung on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we as Christians must make sure every ounce of bitterness and resentment is taken away. We can do that by faith. The invitation is extended to you. And the invitation is all about forgiveness. God knows what we can handle. Satan knows how to poison. John ten ten. Satan. Jesus said that the you know, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Oh, for us to learn this. I'm glad that God's forgiven me. And every time I stand before God, you know what? I see my weaknesses. Every time I stand before God and ask for His help, it doesn't seem like what somebody else has done to me it doesn't seem very big, does it? <laughs> what God has forgiven me. You know, and that doesn't compare to what any man can ever do to me. And it gets me in the place I need to be to grow. Let's get rid of those poisonous plants. And let's serve God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's my invitation. If we can assist you in any way, would you come as we stand and say.